maybe few, she should have an apparent influence in the world. And again, we, we've studied, we've been in this section where they've been on this journey to Rome, Paul and two other believers that we know. And so there's a known presence on the ship for the church. There are three believers there, and the majority of the people on the ship, we can assume that they're lost. And so in this journey, while things got rough and really bad, uh, the, the sailors, the captain, the centurion, everybody at this point are listening, they're, they're listening to Paul. And again, this apparent influence comes from many different factors, and we talked about that. But the second point is this, we should exhibit gratitude and remember that God's got it even when things get worse. And I put a little tag on it, and they usually get worse. <laughs> things usually get worse. We go through trials and we're like, man, can it get any worse? And then the answer usually comes in the next wave of the trial or how bad it gets. I thought, man, when is this going to end? When is it going to get better? And again, we saw Paul in the midst of all of what was going on, breaking bread, giving thanks to God in the middle of all of this. And, and man would say, well, he had no guarantees of, of living after this. He had nothing really to look forward to other than what God had promised. And again, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But these lessons have been valuable for the entirety of the church's existence. You have to remember, this was written, and now for thousands of years, the church have, has had these lessons, have had, had this history. And there's no doubt there have been times when the church has been the extreme minority throughout uh, modern history, if you will, per, the persecuted few. Yet we've known throughout different various you know, places and times that the church has had drastic influence in the world. We can even look at our own nation's history and see that there used to be a time, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that the church had influence in communities. There were, there were many times that nothing was done until the churches in that community agreed that something was going to be done. Uh, that certain things would be allowed and certain things would not be allowed in the community because the church was being that much of a light and that much salt in those communities. And you look around now, and it seems as if a lot of the churches are just struggling to keep their head above water with any type of influence in the world and in the community they're in. And so there's no doubt that's been the case. There's also been no doubt that have been, there have been times that the church has been through um, bad things that went to worse. And yet God remained in control. And he deserved thanksgiving even when it was like that. And it's so important, I think, for us to remember these points as we move along. And um, again, we, we're going through this. We, we're coming now this morning to the last chapter of the book of Acts. And we're getting close to the end of this study. And again, the whole intent was to, to look at the history, our heritage as believers. We look back, we learn, and prayerfully we, we take these lessons with us as the Lord's return draws closer. And with history, anytime that you study history, of course, not only do you, do you see the account of, of the things that actually happened, but as the church, hopefully we learn from the examples that the history and the heritage have given to us and God has preserved for us. And, you know, we ask questions like, well, what, what did the church do in these circumstances? What did, what did the people of God do when things went like this? And, and I think maybe the even more important question to ask is, who were they being through the various struggles and the victories that they were facing? Not only just what did they do, but who were they? What was their testimony? How were they acting to each other and to the world? And so this morning we jump into this, this next section of Scripture in Acts chapter 28. We're going to begin in verse 1. And when they had brought safely, I'm sorry, when 
they had been brought safely through. Then we found out that the island was called Malta. If you haven't been here or you missed last week, they've been on this journey. The, the, the ship has been tossed and torn and, and weathered and, you know, it's, it's been a bad situation. But they finally found land. They anchored there. And as soon as the day broke, they let go of the anchors. They, they basically were all in and they were going towards this land. And before they got to the land, the Bible says they struck a reef and they basically high-centered the ship on this reef. As the ship was high-centered, the waves kept beating against the back of it, going towards the shore, and it started tearing up the ship, and it, and it was destroying the ship. They had to get off and basically swim to land or float on planks of wood or anything that would float. And so everybody made it safely to the land, the Scripture says. They found out it was called Malta. The natives, the Bible says, showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. So again, this is a, they don't know where they're at. They find out that it's Malta, but they, they, they're, they have nothing. They threw everything overboard. They've swam to shore. They floated to shore. This is the situation they're in. But when Paul was helping get this all together, he gathered a bundle of, of sticks and laid them on the fire. And as soon as he put it down, the Bible says that a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. Obviously, he had grabbed some wood that had a, a viper in it. And snake was fine until he put that snake and the wood on the fire. And that snake got mad, didn't want anything to do with that, and bit Paul. And look what happens. The natives saw the creature hanging from his hand. And they began saying one to another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, they didn't even know that that was true. Uh, because if you know the story of Paul, he, was, he consented to the death and even was part of many Christians' deaths. But they were thinking that he was, a, you know, of course, and they knew he was a prisoner. They, they knew that he was, you know, part of the reason they were going to Rome. And so they see this happen to him and they're like, ah, karma. That's in their mind. Ah, he... he he has been saved from the sea, but justice has not allowed him to live. Look what happens. However, he shook off the creature off, off, off into the fire and suffered no harm. It seemed like he was just fine. But they were like, well, let's, let's watch and see. They were expecting that he was about to either swell up like a, like a blimp or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they began to say, that he was a god, a little g. So again, following along, these guys, Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, they are all prisoner. Well, Paul is a prisoner, Luke and Aristarchus by default because they're with Paul. And they were just told, they just found out that they were probably going to die by these soldiers. The centurion saved their life. They swim or float to shore. They show up there. Here's the, another word for these, these islanders were barbarians. They had no idea who these people were, how they were going to treat. They're entreated, right? They make a fire for them. They welcome them because they're superstitious. They're thinking, well, these guys brought us good luck. The, the rain came. We're going to take care of these people. Paul gets bit by a snake. They think, ah, justice. He shakes it off. Nothing happens to him. And they're like, oh, he's a god. That's why nothing happened to him. That's why, oh, and, and so this is all, all these things going on. Now, in the neighborhood of, the, uh, of, the, of that place where lands were belonging, I'm sorry, belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, 
who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened after the father of Publius was laying in bed afflicted with a recurrent fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. What a whirlwind. I, I don't know if you're able to, hopefully you are immersing yourself in this and trying to relate somewhat. I, I can't relate to the, the shipwreck. I can't relate to a snake biting me, praise God. You know, I can't relate to some of these things, but I, I'm trying to put myself as a part of this crew and kind of being along with them and seeing what's going on. Again, they had just made it to the island. They didn't even set up camp. The islanders welcomed them, made a fire, and they're showing them extraordinary kindness. And I don't know if you go there, but I go there a little bit like with some uncertainty. Why are these guys showing us kindness? I'm sure the centurion felt confident that they're going to make their way somewhere. If you can imagine a military person, you know, he, he, they made it through. They're going to Rome one way or the other, and he's going to make sure that it happens. But if you're like me, maybe you can relate in some way to the struggle that they were maybe going through. And maybe you can't, but just try to imagine for a second. You feel like God has been faithful. You know, we just sang the song, All My Life Has Been Faithful. You feel like God is faithful, and, and you feel like that He's going to carry you through this trial. You, you, you kind of been some ups, through some ups and some downs, and, and God actually brought you to the island. He's actually kept you safe. Oh, it, it wasn't without the dramatic crash and the uncertainty of the waves, and like it's been a whirlwind, but, but there you are. God actually did it. God brought you to the shore. And in your mind, you know, I, I know I'm eventually going to die. I know that all of our time is limited. Everyone does. But is this the way it's going to happen? doesn't seem like that. Maybe doubts and stuff start creeping in your mind because of what you've been through, because of the circumstances, because of the trial, because of the up and down, the roller coaster, the whirlwind. Uh, uh, are we really going to make it to Rome like God promised? I mean, I know that we, we made it to the shore, but man, how hard has it been along the, the way? And then other thoughts may start creeping into your mind, right? You're, 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 say, you're, you're on safe land. The, the storm is, has calmed and you're past. And, and I don't, again, I don't know if you can relate, but I've been there before to where it feels like you've been through the ringer, you come through the trial, and you're like, we're okay. Praise God. Okay. We're safe, you know, but there's always this kind of thing in the back of your mind because of what we've studied and even what, you know, I, I've preached and shared according to what, what Scripture says. Like in the back of your mind, you're, you're, you're thinking, what's coming next? You're thinking, like, where's the enemy going to come from now? It's hard to celebrate the victory. It's hard to celebrate God bringing you safely to shore because you're kind of on edge waiting to see what happens. And here you are, and these people are making a fire for you. And they're giving you everything you need. They're, it seems like they're kind of buttering you up. And then maybe in the back of your mind, you get a little cynical, right? None, oh, no, I'm sorry, none of us do that. <laughs> Nobody gets cynical. My bad. Uh, but you maybe question, why are they doing this? Are they cannibals? Are they like fattening us up and getting us ready? I mean, you've seen the movies, right? Everybody's seen the movies. 
oh, that's what they're doing. They're, they're going to butter us up, and then they're going to sacrifice to their false gods, you know. Feels like a little bit of a roller coaster. Again, maybe you're there right now with what you're dealing with. Maybe God has just brought you freshly through a trial. Maybe, you, maybe you're in the midst of one right now, and you're just like, what else can happen? What else can go wrong? Maybe you're, maybe you're there on that shore, and you're kind of like wobbly legs, you know, like, well, okay, we made it through this trial. But I also want you to notice that while we don't have every single detail from Luke, the physician, who is detailed, we do have this seemingly impactful event right after the Lord delivered them. Enough so that Luke does give us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some, some details about what they were going through. And I want you to remember, again, the point last week, we should exhibit gratitude and remember that God's got it even when things get worse, and they often get worse. Luke didn't speculate that these islanders were fattening them up, fattening them up to sacrifice to their false gods. We, he could have, because there's times that he does say, we supposed, or they were doing this because of this. No, he, he notes in this circumstance, the extraordinary circumstances that they're in, the amazing kindness that they were being shown by these strangers. Then he notes the crazy situation with the snake and the fire. Great. Like this is, what in the world is happening to our world? What is going on in our life? What is, what are we dealing with? I mean, we're on this island. These people are feeding us and bringing us warm stuff and, and taking care of us. Paul's getting bit, shaken off. I mean, what is in the world? God, of course, delivers him. And then the leader of that land his father is sick with a fever and an intestinal problem that is causing this, and he's not doing good. He's about to die, and then a healing clinic ensues, right? Not only does the, the, the leader's father get healed, but it says that everybody that had a disease and sickness, they brought him to Paul, and they were all healed. So there you are, and, and all of this, again, it's just a crazy world you're living at this point in time. And so maybe with all of this, you see God's miracle working power going on. Maybe the fears of death subside some. Maybe you're like, okay, every little bit that God does and everything that you see that's going on kind of diminishes and takes away from some of the worry and the fear that, that you might not make it to where God promised. Maybe there was nothing like that for them. Maybe they had no worry at all. Maybe there was no concern that God would actually take them to Rome, that they would actually be. Maybe they were, had no doubts at all. Luke doesn't tell us that here. Maybe they did. But here's what we do know. Paul would eventually... Well, Paul wrote and, and, and has had written letters um, to kind of give us a little insight on where his mind was and where his heart was. And I think that that as a leader was, was kind of adopted by these other guys. And, and again, maybe there, there was a reason that they were, really weren't worried at all. It just wasn't written down for us here in this text in, in Acts. We know according to what Paul has written in other letters that he had reason to rest on the promises of God no matter how bad things got how ugly things were no matter how difficult 
the trial was, we, we have indication that Paul, no matter what, was going to trust God because of what God had done in his life. Remember what God told him in Acts chapter 27? In verse 24, he said this, Do not be afraid, through the, through the, through the angel that God sent. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men. This is Paul talking. For I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Again, Paul had been through certain things. Paul had, had heard from God. Paul had God's word. He had God's promises. And so that's everything Paul had experienced. No matter if it was a new shipwreck, no matter if it was a new storm, no matter if it was an awkward, really suspicious encounter with these barbarians on the shore, Paul had God's word the whole time. He had God's promise with him the whole time. His circumstances never changed the promises of God. God had always kept his word. No matter what he felt, no matter what Paul had been through, he always kept it. And I put this in your notes because I think it's a good reminder for me. I think it's a good reminder for us is this, that our problems don't change God's promises. Our problems, they don't change God's promises. God had promised Paul, you must stand before Caesar. That's what I'm, I'm doing with your life. You're going to go to Caesar and you're going to do that. So again, put yourself in that situation. You're on a ship that's literally being ravaged. You show up on an island, you know nobody. You don't even know where you are. Are, are we even in this, this area of the world? Like all they had to go on was trusting God's word. That's it. Well, what if we don't make it for another day? Or what if this takes our life? Look, all we know is we can go on what God has promised us. That's it. We were talking right before service about flying, and I was saying that how, you know, we, anytime I get on a plane and take off, I, I pray like, all right, God, I'm in your hands, literally. And, and it's funny because that's the case every time, every day, everywhere we go. <laughs> it doesn't have to be on an airplane. We get behind a car. Any, anytime we go anywhere, anything, we're always in God's hands. But I think it's just more experiential. It's more felt whenever literally you have no hands on the steering wheel. You have no brake pedal or gas pedal. You're sitting in a seat and you're literally at the mercy of everything and everyone else. But it's just a, a good reminder that it, your life is truly in God's hands. But it's no different than every other day. It's just more felt in that experience. I think it's important for us to remember that no matter how difficult the problem, no matter how big the trial, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what the circumstances are, that they never change God's promises. They are what they are. So we look at what Paul has written to see where maybe his mind was, what, how he had come to this place in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are, thou, who, who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Listen to what he says. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, here's the reason, that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now listen, 
This is a difficult thing because sometimes we're going through things and we want to know the answer why. Why are we going through this? Why are we going through this trial? Why our family? Why me? Why, why are we the ones dealing with it? And we want the answer to benefit us, right? We want God to show, well, because I'm going to bless you in this way, or I'm going to strengthen you in this way, or I'm going to do this work in your life, in your kid's life, in your grandkid's life. We want it to benefit us, but sometimes, according to Scripture, God leads us through afflictions and gives us the help we need through those afflictions so that we can turn around and help other people. Not us, but that we can help other people. And as spoiled brats, sometimes we don't like that. Well, I don't want that. Well, how's it going to benefit me too? I want it to benefit me too, and I'm okay helping other people in the process. But he says he comforts us in all afflictions so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Or if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope is for you. Our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us at Asia. Listen to what he says. That we were burdened excessively. So Paul's sharing with them Listen, the reason why we're coming to you and trying to comfort you is, is, is this. I want you to know what we've been through. I want you to know how, how, what God has brought us through. We were burdened excessively. Listen to what he says, beyond our own strength, so that we despaired even of life. We thought we were going to die. Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves. We were thinking in us we were dying so that we would not trust in ourselves. That's why God allowed us to go through that, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril death. He, he did, it, and he will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, our confident expectation, and, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Paul turns around and encourages them, look, is, your prayers were effective. And then he goes on in chapter 11 in that same, same book. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Look what he says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. I'm more a servant of, of Christ. In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger, listen to what he said, often in danger of death. Five times I received, uh, received from the Jews 39 lashes. Five times, almost 40 lashes from the cat of nine tails. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I had spent in the deep. I had been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my, my countrymen, from Jews, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the desert, the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often, listen to what he says, often without food, in cold, and exposure. Apart from such external things, 
on top of all of that stuff, he says, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Now, I want you to understand the shipwreck that they just encountered in, in our study, hadn't, they hadn't encountered yet. So, so Paul was confident. I love this. He was confident just as he wrote the fourth chapter of that same letter. He was confident in chapter, seven verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So, death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what it is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Paul says, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. And listen to what he says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outer man is decaying, even though we're going through all of these beatings and stonings and lashings and rods and, and imprisonments and shipwrecks and, and feeling like we're going to die all the time because we're just simply trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have confidence that if he raised up Jesus from the dead, he's going to raise us up too. That he's going to keep his word. He's going to keep his promises. So we don't lose heart even though our outer man is decaying. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. How is that possible? Aren't you feeling like you're going to die every day? Yes, I do. But somehow God is renewing us internally. He said because we do know this, our light, our momentary light affliction is actually producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. So... We don't look at the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen, because the things that are seen, they're just temporal. It's the things that are not seen that are eternal. There's no doubt. It wasn't just for Paul. The, this trial, this shipwreck, this, this weird experience on this island of Malta, it wasn't just for Paul. It wasn't just for Luke. It wasn't just for Aristarchus. But it's been true throughout our whole study and throughout the church's history, point number one, that's a long introduction. <laughs> the church at times is given unique opportunities and blessings to further the kingdom. Could you, could you have told Paul when he first surrendered on the road to Damascus? Maybe you could right after that. But after he had been in ministry for a little bit, could you, can you, have, could you imagine being tell, telling Paul, hey, one of these days you're going to be, I mean, weathered. You're going to be worn. You are going to be so tired of every trial and affliction. You're going to feel like you're dying all the time. You're going to barely make it on the promises of God to an island where these barbarians are actually going to take care of you. And they're going to feed you. And they're going to keep you warm. And not only that, by the time you leave that island, these barbarians are going to supply you with everything you need for the journey ahead. Paul would have been like, that's a stretch, <laughs> you know. But that's the case for the church. Man, we, we are sometimes given unique opportunities and blessings to further the kingdom of God. And sometimes they're just windows that we get. But man, 
Amazing. Last week I mentioned the opportunities that we had in 2001 and even in 2020 recently. Some opportunities we, I think, capitalized on. Some we failed. But I believe that now we as the church in America actually still have a unique opportunity. The unique opportunities that we still have right now because of the freedoms that we have right now. They're extraordinary. They're so admired and coveted by so many of our brothers and sisters around the world. The fact that you and I are doing this right now. The, the fact that you and I, are, you can put scriptures on social media and they don't come knocking on your door looking to take you to prison or to burn your house down. The fact that we have so many amazing blessings in our faith as the church. Much of our brothers and sisters around the world covet that. They desire to have what we, I think, often forget. What are we doing? Let me ask you this. What excites you most in life? What really gets you excited in life? Some of you, it's easy. My family. My, my hobby, my sport, my friends. Maybe it's a possession. I love this when I go outside and I work on this. And I, love, or I, I, I polish this or I go out and, and do this. I, I love this, man. This is what really gets me excited. Maybe, maybe it's money, man. Money gets me excited. Are we just missing the opportunities the unique opportunities that God has given us as the church in America because of the blessings and the abundance of blessings? I just wonder if that's the case. Because when, when we ask those questions of ourselves and we're honest, because God knows, that, God knows our heart, whether we would say it out loud to anybody else, God knows what really our hearts flutter for. God really knows what, what we really get excited about and what causes, you know, excitement and butterflies. And, and some of those things that do are actually blessings from God. But are those blessings causing us to miss the unique opportunities to further the kingdom? It may be good. I mean, because you can have, you know, their blessings from God to your spouse, your kids, grandkids, uh, the, the blessing of having a job. I mean, there's so many blessings that God gives us, I think, that we have to honor him and to help further his kingdom. But sometimes those blessings can blind us to the opportunities that God has left us here so that we can advance his kingdom. Not advance our kingdom, not advance the kingdom of this world, but advance his kingdom. And I think that's where we get skewed, right? That's where we get off track. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm working hard to build my kingdom. And this whole kingdom of God thing kind of interferes with that at times. So I can set the kingdom of God to the side because of the abundance of the blessings while I work on my own kingdom. You would think that the redeemed, the forgiven, the blessed, given grace and forgiveness because our justice and our ransom was paid by Christ on the cross you would think that we would be the most in tune. You would think that we, you and I, would be the most excited, never compromising, most engaged church in the history of the church. 
You would think that we as Americans, the ones who have liberty like no one has ever known, blessings and abundance and, and so many things, you would think that we, because of all the grace and the goodness and the, uh, the forgiveness and all of those things I just named, you would think that we would be the most excited for the kingdom of God. You would think that we would be the ones saying, never will we compromise. Never will we get sidetracked with our own kingdom because God has been so good to us. God has been abundantly gracious to us. When I think about our brothers and sisters around the world who have never known a day of their life what it is to be free. And yet there's times that we're, we're debating whether we're going to put something of God before the world or the world before God. And, and I just, I'm like, what is, what is happening to the church when we read things like this? They were just trying to make it from day to day. And God is showing up in amazing ways and showing himself as God in their life. And I'm just wondering, like, are, are we missing that? Are, are we getting any part of that? I say, yeah, I think so. I see man, God, you know, bless that person with a job. That's great. That's awesome. When I got a bonus at work. When they won the championship. Like, what, what does it revolve around? Are we missing, like, the souls, the, the kingdom of God, reaching the lost, discipling the saved, encouraging the saints of God, spurring one another to love and, and good works, serving more for the, the Lord's pleasure, and especially as we see the, 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 the return of our God drawing nearer. But it seems like what I said in the beginning of 2020 is true. I just started a series called Uncomfortable. And I said something like this, maybe we, it's because we serve the God of comfort and not the one true God. Maybe we're more enamored with earthly things because we, we've become saturated with the earthly. Maybe there's so many people that have a religion and actually don't have a relationship. Maybe there are those who actually show up for church frequently who have a likeness to a Christian but truly aren't following Christ as Lord. See, Paul would write to Timothy and say this, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be boastful and have platforms to boast. Arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. They'll look ungrateful. They will be unholy. They'll be unloving, irreconcilable, there will be malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good. They'll be traitors. They're treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding a form of godliness, they, they look like it, but the sad reality is they've denied the power. And then Paul told Timothy, avoid such men as these. Because it's out of that group, out of those people that are like that, that there are those who enter into households and, and, and captivate weak women weighted down with sins, led on by various impulses. And they're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What a sad indictment. Always learning, knowing all the biblical answers. But they never actually came to that place of surrender. And then Paul uses names as an example 
Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress because their folly will be obvious to all. And just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. Now you follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But like he said in the last days, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived themselves. You, however, Timothy, you, however, Christian, continue in the things that you've learned and be convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for the, every good work. I share all this because if you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian here today, man, let's be about his business first and foremost. Let's stop having some semblance of the church and let's be the church. Let's ensure that we're prior, prioritizing. Let's make sure as a child of God that we're centering our lives on Christ, centering our lives on his church, his kingdom. And we, when we're so blessed like you and I are in America, that we use that for his kingdom. They didn't say, oh man, we're laid down with all these blessings. And you say, yeah, Paul didn't have a choice because he was a prisoner and they were going to Rome. I want to look on. Acts 28, verse 11. At the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island, which had twin brothers for its figurehead, Paulus and, and, and um, I can't remember the other guys, but... Um, the, the sons of Zeus in Greek mythology. After we had put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for, for three days. Castor and Pollux, sorry, that, that was, those are the names. From there we sailed around, arriving in uh, Regium, and a day later south, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came uh, Petuli, to Petuli. There we found some brethren, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, listen what happens. They came from there, they came from there as far as the market of Appius and three ends to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Kind of like house arrest. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me, but there was no ground for putting me to death. But when I objected, my only option, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation, for this reason, therefore, I requested to see you. I wanted to speak with you. These were the religious Jews there in, in Rome. For I'm wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel, the salvation of Israel. 
I'm, I'm in prison. I wanted to talk to you guys because my heart is to see Israel saved. I, I wanted to make sure that you understood the truth from my own mouth. And they said to him, We've neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any other brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. We don't even know anything about what you're talking about. He said, they said, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. You don't know me, but why were they wanting to know what his views were? What, what was it specifically these religious Jews were, were inquiring about? Look, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that is, it is spoken against everywhere. So regardless of what their thoughts were or weren't for Paul, what's amazing is this. They had, the news had already spread about this sect. At this point, the church wasn't known as the church to the whole world. Many of the religious of the day, many of the people in the world just kind of knew it as a sect. It was a rebellious sect of Judaism by, by most people's opinions. These, these, these crazies that were following this Jesus of Nazareth. So they wanted to hear Paul's take on all this. But what's clear is still clear today, and this is our last point we'll end. The church at most points in time has been under scrutiny and attack. The church at most points in time, from its inception, has been under scrutiny and attack. Again, the vast majority of scriptures in the New Testament, from the letters of Paul and Peter to the written accounts of Jesus' own words to his followers, are admonitions on how to live a holy life, how to advance the gospel, how to be the church and navigate and endure the struggle and persecution that comes with being followers of Christ. We need to ensure that we're faithful to his call even when our challenge is the abundance of comfort that we live in. The reason I say that is because I love you guys. I love our church. And I really, really, really prayerfully and desire to make sure that nobody here is caught off guard. Because, man, we're floating along in comfort. We're floating along in blessings and abundance and we have no guarantee in God's word. We have no guarantee anywhere that we're going to always experience that. Again, and if the volume that we have of admonition and encouragement and teaching in Scripture is for us to be able to endure persecution and for us to be able to endure trial and, 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 and attack, then, man, I want us to make sure that we're living by that standard and not just being ignorant in our bliss. John 15, Jesus promised, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, then the world would love its own. You as Christians, I mean, if, you were, if you're actually of the world, then the world would love you. That's a problem when the world loves the church like it loves its own because we're different. It hated Jesus, and those who are loving sin and living in sin typically have a contrary opinion and feeling about the church, but I chose you out of the world because this world, because of this world, because of this, the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they'll keep yours also. In these, thi- uh, these things, John 16, I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. And I'm not going to read Matthew chapter 24, but I encourage you to read that. Because Jesus basically gives them a, a little bit of a, an encouragement and insight into what the world is going to be right before his return. But I, want you to, I do want you to look at verse 42 because it's important. He says this, Therefore be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be on alert. Stay awake. Be spiritually in tune. Be, be focused on the eternal. Know that, that the Lord is, is coming back soon. Know that the time is just going to get worse and worse. And we as the church have got to be ready. We've got to be alert. We can't be caught away in all of the other stuff. Matthew 25 is more encouragement there. But the church in America at this point isn't seeing a plain, full frontal, blatant persecution. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we've read articles where somebody, because of another religious zealot in their faith, persecuted a Christian or something. But in America, we don't have this full frontal persecution. I believe what we've been seeing for a long time in our nation against the church are stealth attacks. Things that often fly under the radar, they happen in the church. I believe we have the potential of being a great beacon still. I've not lost all hope for the church in America. (laughs) But I believe we've been called to influence. But I know this, it's not going to happen. We're not going to be the influence. We're not going to be the light and the salt when things get tough. When the full frontal persecution begins, if we're not fully committed now. They said, no, I will. Because when things get bad, then I'll know, and that's when I'll step up my faith. I don't think that's true. I think what will happen is what Jesus said. We didn't read it, but what Jesus said, that many will fall away. If your faith isn't real now, when it gets tough, you're probably going to bail. Church member, Christian, now is the time to prepare. I'm not trying to be a doomsday bear. Again, this comes from love. I want our church to be strong in the faith. I want every member to be a soldier ready for battle. I don't want the enemy to come across and, and nail us and us be like, what happened? I want every single one of us to have the full armor of God ready for battle, prepared every day. Even if we're living in an amazing, blessed time, always, just like Jesus said, always on alert. Because we don't know when he's returning. He said, blessed is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he comes. I want that for every member here. I want that for every church member here. That when the Lord returns, he finds you faithful. And he finds you serving for his kingdom, and he will reward you accordingly. That's my desire for you. That's my desire for our church. I don't want when the attacks come and the persecution comes, us to be saying, what happened to all these people? Where'd they go? Well, they're just not coming anymore because they're afraid of what might happen to them. Let's make sure that we're ready. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the challenge it's, it's given me. If nobody else in this room, Lord, you've challenged my heart. Lord, it's so easy just to get 
living in this world and forget that there is a real spiritual battle. And we don't have to see problems and, and, and issues in our own life or even how bad our culture is or, or read the news. We don't have to do it. We know that it's real. We know that your, your return is soon. We know that the enemy is doing everything he can to deceive and to lead many to death. Help us be alert. Help us be the church that you've called us to be. Lord, help us to be faithful now. now I, I, there's a, a, maybe a spoiled part of me. There's, a, there's a, um, a comfort in my flesh that I would love for us never to have to experience that. For my kids, for the people in this room I love, we would never have to experience real persecution. But God, I don't want to live with heads in the sand or heads in the clouds and, and be caught off guard and not prepared. And so Lord, help us respond to your word. Help us to be who you've called us to be, even in the abundance, even in the blessings. God, help us to be dedicated to you and your kingdom more than anything else in this world. Lord, help us respond rightly and let's be glorified in our response. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. If you'll stand. As he sings, I want to invite you to come.